Hi, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Scale by Intercom. Since we ran our last season of Scale towards the end of last year, there have been some exciting changes afoot on the Inside Intercom block. Scale is now a dedicated space where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. As part of this, we'll also be releasing a new Scale podcast episode for you every second week, so you can continue to hear from a slate of brilliant leaders and thinkers about the strategies and frameworks that they've used to chart new paths for their customers and their companies. One such person is Pam Dodrell, Vice President of Customer Support and Success at Zapier. In her interview with Intercom's Courtney Chang, we hear how Zapier supports 3 million users by investing in customer outcomes, how customer service has evolved, and what Pam's advice is for empowering a remote support team. It's a great discussion with plenty of valuable insights. So let's head over to the studio and hear from Pam and Courtney. Pam, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you join us as our first guest for the return of Scale as a permanent series. You've had an incredibly impressive career to date that's seen you work at places like Zendesk, Skilljar, and ServiceMax. To get us started, could you give us a quick rundown of your career? How did you come to be Zapier's VP of Customer Support and Success? Yeah, I'll try and do that quickly. It's a lot of years to wrap up into one. Um, I think really the, the crux of it is that I started working in a call center and in a service center when I was in high school. And so I really started on the front lines of doing first customer service and then more technical support roles really early, um, just answering customer requests as a start in my career. Then I had roles in training. I started implementing technology that service centers use. I started selling technology that service centers use. I had roles in product marketing and product management too. That was a short stint. I'm not meant to be a product manager. Learn that one fast. And then I was exposed to customer success when I worked at salesforce.com. And from there, I jumped into the startup world using all of those different perspectives that I'd gained. And I think that really teed me up for the role that I have here at Zapier. And when they reached out to me about the role, I think the the values of the company, the, the mission of the product were the things that most aligned. And so we made a deal and here I am having a really good time. Amazing. And as you mentioned, it's I think it's been more than 20 years since you first stepped into that call center. Um, I'd love to know from your perspective, what are some of the key changes you've noticed in the customer support and success industry since you first started? Outside of technology, we, technology has changed a lot for sure. But I think for the most part, I'm starting to see that companies are beginning to understand that their customer's success is their success. And the idea around the ideas around that and how to make it happen are starting to unfold. Um, I've seen some acceleration of that in the last year or so, but it's been a pretty slow progress from my experience. I think in one of your pieces, to quote you, you've actually said that when you take care of your customers, the revenue comes, and that's a philosophy you've held on to throughout your career. And I was curious about how this philosophy has enabled you and the many teams you've led to navigate some of the big technological shifts that we've seen. It's really funny. I'm going to go back to a time when I was consulting early, oh, 15, maybe close to 20 years ago. 
somewhere in between. I was really offended the first time I worked with a leader that said, we're not going to offer phone support. We're just going to do email. And I was really offended when I was involved in convincing companies that they needed to use service portals and help docs and communities um, because they were using them for the purpose of cost savings versus what was best for their customers. So I was a little bitter about that for years. But what's been really cool about it is when I think about those different channels and the ways um, customers want to communicate with companies now is they've actually adopted those things. It's become a better approach for them, at least so far as it goes in tech. People just want to use the solution. They don't want to have to figure out how to use the solution and troubleshoot for the solution. So even really thinking about this in terms of your product development, if you're taking care of your customers and removing the friction for them in their product, they'll adopt and use their, your product towards their success. And then as for the channels, I think that my experience is it really needs to be company and customer specific. There are solutions that at times warrant a live conversation on the phone, even a conference call or an in-person meeting sometimes. There's chat that's a real-time channel that you have to staff for peaks for. And there are times that warrant that in certain types of um, technology solutions and customers. And when it makes sense, it's important to staff for those. But it doesn't need to be applied everywhere. And so I think, you know, really learning to figure out on a more individualized basis what is going to work best for the customers in the company has been my approach. And I think that speaks so well uh, to something else you've also written, which is about customer outcomes and this idea of really attending to your specific customers, whether that's through your practices and policies or, as you mentioned, through the right channels. I'd love to understand what does customer outcome, what does it mean to you in the context of support? And why is this something that you hold so dear at at Zapier? I think it's one of the reasons that really made me want to join Zapier is there's a real passion for knowing that our customer success equates into our success. If companies are Adopting your software, expanding the use of your software, those are signals for you that they're being successful in the outcomes that they're trying to reach. And the best way to keep developing your product and your service offering for them is really understanding what those product, what those customer goals are. Um, and so that's, that philosophy just permeates the organization. When it comes to how we came about it being an important thing this year for the support team at Zapier, You know, when I started, we had spent, I started in late 2018 and we spent the entirety of 2019 focused on efficiency and cost effectiveness. And we needed to do that for long-term scalable business, the business being sustainable. But no one, no team gets excited by that. No one's really happy to go through those motions. And I have to tell you, this team was so brilliant and they put everything they had into it in spite of not being really enthused about it. And they nailed it, met all of our goals. And yet the team was not inspired. They were literally uninspired. So when we started our planning session towards the later part of 2019, I did roundtables in small groups with the entire team to get input on what we should focus on in 2020. And we made customer outcomes the center of that conversation. You wouldn't believe the energy that I had coming out of those discussions with them. And they were all saying very similar things. And I'm just, you know, typing feverishly to capture all of it. There's one person on our team, his name's Andrew. He's been with us for a while and he's a little bit of a 
a god, if you will, within the support team. He knows the product really well and the team counts on him. And he did such a good job of summarizing what I think the whole team was saying. And he said, Pam, I don't want you to measure us. I don't want to be measured on our replies per hour. I want to know that when I work on a customer's app, that it's working 30 days from now. And that was like the golden ticket that really opened up the conversation and allowed us to focus on that. So we're building our intelligence now so that we can look at measuring our success as a support team based on that first step of whether or not what we're helping the customers fix is still working. And then in addition to that, we're adding new things to the team. Like we're standing up our customer success team now and we're with every intent of taking what we know our customers' goals to be and incorporating that into how we interact with them and the conversations we have with them. And we're starting to do that early on in like onboarding processes and stuff like that. So really exciting stuff. And we do believe within the entire entirety of the organization that that's how we will be a successful company is by making sure our customers are successful using our solution. I think one of the things I've heard from support leaders around customer outcomes is that it can feel like you're one step removed when you end up focusing on things like first reply time. And so what does that dashboard look like for you now that you're really thinking about the customer's success with your product? And what does that communication back to your team look like? Yeah, honestly, Courtney, we're still in the midst of building it. We've done the data for the Zap still working. We Our data team has done the engineering work to pull all the components together. So my team now is starting to build that dashboard. And that'll be a first iteration for us. We think that's the thing to measure from a support perspective as the next thing, but we'll probably tweak it. The other things we're doing is um, implementing some software that's going to give us early morning signals for our customers about, you know, if there's more usage or if they're adding people or if they're adding more zaps and then really figuring out what are the touch points from not just those early warning signals, but using them to become proactive in the nature to find out at what point Let's say, let's take the first 90 days of onboarding as an example, because it's where we'll focus first. There's a lot to learn as you're adopting a new solution during that time frame. So how do we interact with our customers and ask that question? What are the goals? What are you trying to achieve? And based on getting that input from them, making recommendations to them. There's an approach I take to this that's philosophical that I've shared with the team. And I want to think about altruistic, proactive outreach. So for the 10 times I may interact with a customer throughout a year, regardless of the channel, nine of those 10 times I should be sharing with them information that I think is important to them and will help them, whether it's product-based, a use case, a new feature, whatever it might be. And that 10th time might be the renewal. But if you really get into understanding your customer's perspectives and what they're trying to achieve, then renewal should not be a huge milestone in the conversation. That's fascinating to me to hear about the way that you're talking about proactive support and the way that you're really thinking about support as going beyond just the reaction to specific queries and something that we at Intercom are also really looking to implement. Is this the same team? Like, is this, are you using the same teams and the same processes to implement this proactive approach as you are also the reactive queries that are coming in from customers? No, not right now. And I'll be honest with you, that's one of the places where I have a little bit of a bee in my bonnet with the industry is when I think about what we're doing with customer support and customer success, 
We're often taking customer support roles and calling them customer success without really changing anything that makes them more proactive. Maybe um, you could have uh, monitoring on your customer's instance and understand that they're having trouble on the instance, that there's a technical issue and reaching out to them. That's a proactive motion that you could introduce to customer support. And on the customer success side of things, I'm finding in the industry that we're taking what had historically been like a technical account manager, someone that was embedded with a company to find other pockets to sell perpetual license to. And we're calling a role like that a customer success manager. We're not really changing what those roles do enough to meet this, what I'm calling a new perspective in the subscription model about customers actually being successful. We're just taking the typical roles and motions that we've had before and putting different labels on them. Gotcha. I think that makes a ton of sense that you really want to stay true to what the original core mission of the team is and not simply to add a title that sounds better or like it would drive customer outcomes without actually then doing that work. I'd love to return a little bit to the support side, to that reactive piece and how those teams are also driving customer outcomes, but perhaps in a slightly different way. So what does your support team, the reactive side of it, look like? Right now, for the most part, we operate on an email channel. We've done some experiments with chat and requests come in from customers, and we will segment them based on which plan that they have. So we're we're applying higher priority on one team within support called Premier Support based on customers making an investment in us. So we'll make more of an investment for them. And then on the longer tail of the business, we have really good response times. We're just not as hyper-focused on like a one-hour turnaround, if you will, for them. And those questions come in and our customer champions do a lot of legwork to be able to answer them. We've got this really wide breadth of solutions that we're offering because we're integrating with over 2,000 applications. And so we do our best to not just research what we know about our products, but we'll even go out and research some of our partner products to really help the customer come to a solution and not necessarily need to go back and forth between vendors. And then we respond to them. And, you know, we measure things that are pretty traditional, like what is our response to resolution rate, which is pretty good. And then what we want to do is connect dots of like typical support operating metrics to is that segment of customers growing with us? Are we retaining them? And are they growing their subscriptions with us? Are they introducing more users? Are they adopting and expanding, if you will, the solution? And doing comparisons between what that looks like for customers who come through support, making sure those customer success metrics are staying in line with the efforts that we are putting in to help our customers be successful. And you've mentioned there some of the operational complexity that comes with trying to drive these outcomes. I read recently that you are focusing also on building out your support ops team. I'd love to know a little bit about that and the impact that you've seen so far. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, this is, uh, it's always going to be a good impact. Typically, when a support team gets around 20, 25 people, you want to start introducing the idea of an ops team. Because you'll run into what I've run into several times is that you'll grow past that and then everybody on the team is doing everything, whether it's a project to implement or update software or, you know, get a new channel introduced or a new process built. And without exception, what has happened is when the folks who are answering your customer inquiries are also responsible for those operational roles 
the operational things get put down for the priority of answering the customer, which means then those operational priorities tend to not get done. And that's how organizations end up in more of a turnaround spot. So we were definitely ready for an operations team. We really started it last year about this time. And we were really careful because we had a team that was so used to building automations and defaulting to action, which is one of our values, to keep the lights on and keep improving our operations. But yet things kept getting delayed or you couldn't get a line of sight to what um, project was actually going to be implemented because it was hard to keep up with documenting it for the team. So then they didn't have visibility and then you've got duplicate projects going on. So long, a really long, complicated story short, by introducing the support operations team, we were able then to have people responsible for visibility into and management of those projects people responsible for the administration of our systems and our automation and people responsible even for our documentation and our training and our quality. And when I say that, I mean, we've created a team now that I hold accountable for those things getting done, but we still leverage the customer champions to be contributors to those things. So the customer champions might still be administering some of the system for us or writing some of those automations for us but we're aware of it. So we keep duplicates down and we haven't had to have this huge who moved my cheese moment and take something that was important to the team away. So I think that the value is that we've got visibility and accountability built into it and the entire team still gets to contribute to the betterment of the overall organization. I think it's incredibly powerful that you have built those relationships for visibility, but also collaboration. I think one of the things that we're all thinking about as we move into this remote world is how we maintain those relationships when we're remote and distributed. And it's something that Zapier, who is 100% remote and distributed, has, has obviously spent a bit of time thinking about. So what are some of those practices that you're implementing to help your team keep sharing best practices as a remote support team? Yeah, I, well, those best practice sharing is the key to having a good remote team. And for anybody that's just going to a remote model now, based on all the changes that we've seen happening, I would make this a number one priority, like set other priorities down for it. We definitely live in Slack. And just so when I think about all of the tickets coming into the team and the diverse set of questions our customers are asking us, we have a channel called support in Slack where anybody can go in and ask a question. And at all times, those questions get answered. So it's almost like you're just sitting in a room with people and talking across the cube wall. So that's been a huge thing for us. We're also looking into different solutions for our knowledge management that we know even ourselves, we need to improve. We implemented a new playbook this year, but we also want to make sure that we're going past just the internal documentation and able to look at previous tickets or comments on the community or help docs on the website and and really streamlining the place I need to go to look for those things so that it's aggregate and it's going to bring me all those sources of information. And, you know, I think it's not even necessarily sharing best practices. It's about creating an environment where the team feels connected and there's camaraderie. And we've done a, that, a lot of that was in place even when I got here, using Slack as a virtual water cooler. We have fun channels there. We talk about hobbies and different interests. We Other things we do to stay connected are we have pair buddies. So each week, employees are randomly paired for a Zoom call that could be on opposite ends of the functional spectrum within the company. And that, that helps us build camaraderie too. 
So it's best practices, but then it's also making sure people are humanly connected for reasons that may not necessarily be support and helping customer specific. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So we've been talking about team dynamics and collaboration. And one of the things that you've pointed out is that excellent customer support requires a team that's motivated, that feels connected, and that is really excited to help customers. On that front, could you tell us a little bit about your five points of employee motivation? Yeah, the the, the first one that was attractive when I was starting here too was all hand support. Knowing that every person in the company in one way or another spends a couple hours every week interacting with our customers, whether it's in our queue, riding along on chats that we're having or sitting in on phone calls we're having with customers, that's hugely motivating for a team because for support team, because it means the entire company just understands what the support team's work looks like and it helps them make decisions that are best for customers and for the support team. And it's a different perspective that not a lot of the companies have if they're not doing something like all hands support. Employee power empowerment is another big piece of it, making sure that they feel like they can make the calls when they need to in real time and that they don't, they're not micromanaged or have to escalate something all the time. Transparency and collaborative decision-making has been a huge win for this team. And then in addition to that, really focus heavily on diversity and inclusion, which is always to the betterment of an organization. And then also having a strong online connection as a remote team are the five points. One of the things um, that really stuck out to me as I was reading up on Zapier was I noticed you've given as a company every employee resources and funds to put toward a number of causes as we're thinking about supporting Black Lives Matter right now. And I'm curious how you're living that diversity and inclusion within your team, obviously in this moment, but beyond it as well. So diversity and inclusion is a a top line metric for us at Zapier when we think about our OKRs and and what we're measuring at a company-wide level. So that means that it's driving all kinds of behaviors when it comes to recruiting and retention 
and making sure that we are becoming even more of a diverse team as we go. So I think for me, that's the biggest thing. It's not a goal for the people ops department. It's not a goal that's set off to the side. It's really a headline for us that in all ways we are contributing to, and especially in the recruiting process right now, since we're growing so so quickly. That sounds great. And one of the other points that you made about employee motivation was also employee empowerment. I know you have at Zapier a policy of not escalating to a manager when a customer is upset. Different sport teams have different philosophies here. So how did you arrive at this balance between giving your customer champions the right support internally through escalations and then also giving the customer who's clearly frustrated the response that they need? Good question. And the thing I have to say is that balance was established way before I got here, but it was always completely aligned with my philosophy. It's something I've always agreed with and I've pushed for. And and don't get me wrong, things will get escalated, but when they do either by the customer or internally, the team responds as much as possible. The customer champion actually responds rather than their manager or anyone in leadership. And I think it actually builds in a native accountability to that sense of empowerment. So I think it's really important. And then there's those recommendations I make about approaches to this. In days when I was consulting and, and trying to really advocate for that type of empowerment with the clients that I had, you know, if I think about teams that need to adjust to this model, I always recommend empowering the team first. Put a couple of guidelines in and that, that are going to be really important with the understanding that that team is now empowered and they're going to make calls you as a leader don't agree with. That's going to happen. But when that happens, you can have a dialogue about it. You can get their perspective. You can share your perspective. And based on the outcome of that, use it as guidance going forward. And in that process, you're always going to have to stay open to adjusting to that guidance and always be listening to, be willing to listen to the team and or to the management team and, and flex and change where needed. For teams who are thinking about taking this approach for the first time where they haven't quite found that balance that you have, what is some advice that you would give them for taking a similar approach? Just that really is to go big the first time out. So the advice I give is empower the team to make these decisions. Let's take refunds as an example of that. Often customers are asking for credits, they're asking for refunds, and my recommendation would be to empower the team to agree to those refunds or credits without needing to escalate at a bigger dollar sum than what you are comfortable with. So basically go big, give the team the empowerment. And then you're going to watch and they'll probably give more money away than you're comfortable with. And if you feel like you need to dial it back, you'll have specific examples that you can point to for the team to explain why this particular decision someone made isn't good or why you don't agree with it. And you can get their input and understand why they made that decision. And from there, start to dial it back in and just get to an agreement of a level that works versus trying to say, okay, this week you're empowered to give a refund up to $100. That didn't go so bad. Maybe we'll go to 150 because that argument to make or that change to make is very difficult. So you really want to make it one time and dial it back in. Hopefully you don't have a team that all of a sudden is just going to start giving away the farm. Because what I found is when you give them that empowerment, there is a line of accountability that they hold and they make really good decisions. I asked the team to treat it like it's their business, their book of business. How much money do they want to spend? 
And I also think that having transparency around it and communication are key. Like, what are the financial implications? And just having that type of transparency will help those conversations go really well, too. Thanks for sharing that, Pam. I think it's it's really inspiring to see how you're living that empowerment, not just as a philosophy and as a point of motivation, but really all the way down to the way that your customer champions are empowered to respond to customer queries, to find the right solution, and to understand what the impact will be on the business. As we uh, head into the final few moments here together, I'd love to just ask you, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and Zapier? Ah, good question. You know, I'm not really that active on social media right now. So LinkedIn is probably the best place for me. Um, For Zapier, we're on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram with the handle of Zapier. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Pam, for taking the time to join us today. I certainly learned a lot and I think our listeners will as well. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.